He beats his child. I'm a child psychologist. I know how to identify a child who's in danger, who's being abused. And I saw Alistair slap Ethan in my home yesterday. Wait, what? Yes, yes, yesterday. I see, I see the way that you're all looking at me. I'm not crazy. I'm not hallucinating. Do I seem unreasonable? I have evidence. Welcome to the Night Before Podcast, a movie podcast where my husband and I talk about the movie or movies we watched the night before. And this is part two. Of a triple feature night. Of a triple feature night. But don't worry if you didn't listen to part one, you can go back. You don't have to listen to them in any particular order. Well, yeah, not to retread too much. We watched three movies the night before. And this episode, we're focusing on the, the last two. The last episode of our podcast was about the killing of two lovers. Mm-hmm. We Excellent. Were at, we were at Alert Coffee in Tampa, Florida, sitting on a couch, drinking some morning coffee. We are on the same couch. And the morning has turned into afternoon. Barely. Barely. We they just left. started pouring beers in the brewery section. They share a home with both. They share with Seven Sun Brewery mm-hmm. in Tampa, the Tampa location. There's two. So we have the pleasure of being their first pours for the day. Yeah. So we're transitioning from coffee. So we're those people. To beers. And what are you drinking? Um, An IPA called We'd Make Great Pets, I believe. We'll Make Great Pets. Mm -hmm. And I am drinking a milkshake IPA. Nice. Called Copycat Killer. Mm. It's one of my favorites. I don't get it very often. But since it was so early in the day, it's kind of like a blueberry lactose one it felt appropriate for a early in the day beer okay cool so we're here that's what we do each day uh, the following day following a movie we watched the night before we don't talk about it until we get a chance to sit over breakfast or lunch mm-hmm. at some local establishment near um, us dinner. or wherever we're at what's that sometimes it's late night dinner sometimes it's late if we don't get to it but we saved our thoughts and last night we just had a crazy three movie night. We talked a lot more about it in the previous episode, The Killing of Two Lovers, but um, we didn't have time to get to the other two. So this episode, we're primarily focusing on a wom- the woman in the window. The woman in the window, uh, the recently released Netflix streaming film, starring Amy Adams. Amy Adams, Gary Oldman. There we got Gary Oldman again. Gary Oldman's back. He's back. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Julianne Moore. Some great, great cast. A huge cast. And also, in general, Brian Tyree Henry. He's the, one of the detectives, police detectives, okay. who is in Atlanta. Oh, gotcha. He was okay. also recently in the new Godzilla film, Godzilla and Kong King. King Kong, I mean. So, yeah, pretty huge cast that outside of Amy Adams they all have smaller parts all those other names we mentioned including Gary Oldman 
Including Jennifer Jason Lee. She has a really small oh, part. Oh, tiny. Barely even know For that. such a big actress. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that movie in a few minutes. That is, as the recording of this, the number one streaming movie on Netflix. It was. We'll so we probably did it. We get into the number this one, one we're gonna streaming movie on Netflix. We did. Is that what you just said? Yeah, we watched it You're a little it quiet. Late. I can't hear you. You're oh, talking a little quiet. I'm sorry. We're we sitting did. on the couch. We watched the number one streaming movie on Netflix. We watched it late last night. It was a late night. It didn't start till like 11 o'clock at night. We didn't. Yeah. Because it was a triple feature night. Unintentional. Not planned. Not planned at all. We were just riding that wave, and that's where it took us. We were riding, we were riding the do-nothing wave yesterday. Yeah, whatever. Relax, do nothing. We started nothing. about 5 o'clock-ish. We watched a documentary called Some Kind of Heaven, which we're about to talk about right now. We are. We teased it in the previous episode. of like, We didn't know when we were going to talk about it. We're talking I, about it moments from yes. now, so stay tuned. Moments from now. I was glued to some kind of heaven. It was meant to just be. I was glued to it. Again, I we're getting too so early into intrigued. it here, but it was. I did not expect to get that into it. I've wanted to see this movie for months. I know you've been wanting to see it, and I've been intrigued by it, but I wasn't like anxious to see mm. it. Um, growing up in Florida, hearing about the villages your whole life—it's slightly intriguing. It's slightly. Should I say it? Slightly disgusting when I think of it. Because, well, because I, don't know, I don't know if this is true. I've never done any research facts on it. And I'm not gonna. But I've heard... So the villages in Central Florida is this retirement community of... It was, it was planned for baby boomers and re to retire. people retired to kind of... It's a place you can go. Where the nurse come down is like a heaven. They call them frogs, I guess, right? You, you, you go there till you croak. Go there till you croak. That was in the movie. And it's grown. I think it's around 135,000 seniors live there. And it's a little planned community. I'm wondering if you're going to say this statistic that I have in my mind. Yeah, but we said it was a little gross. But they didn't get into this at all, which I was no, actually relieved. No, no, relieved. they don't get into it. But I have heard it's the highest STD rate in Florida, in the villages. Per, like, capita, I guess, I cannot, per, like, where people live. I cannot say that's 100% true. Yeah, I don't know if that's urban myth. But you hear that. I don't that. know, but you hear it. A lot of people from up north come down. A lot of people are new, widowed, newly widowed, singles. It's a, Even though it's seniors, there is a large singles community there. Well, think about it. You have a lot of either single seniors because their significant other has deceased. Right. Um, and they're looking... They hint a little bit about the dating scene and even some getting remarried. Yeah. But it never goes on the sexual side, which I was actually relieved. Yeah. Because I don't need too. to hear about that. We don't But need we to. hear that thing. You and again, hear a little bit about it. But, but I'm saying in general about STDs in the villages. You hear it, but that, that's really what not this movie so is about. So a lot that you think it's going to be about is left out, refreshingly, because you, you think it's going to be about all these seniors like partying and living it up for the end of their lives. And there is a tad bit of that, but it's not about that. Well, it's showcased as a place for seniors to go have fun, live freely and enjoy the twilight years of their life Which... in a community that it's not, a, they even say it's in the movie. It's not a gated community. It's a community with gates, <laughs> meaning like Anybody they, can they come do kind of, section themselves off and it's designed for a certain demographic in mind 
but it's in but no they way. they have everything there where these people don't necessarily ever have to leave. So they kind of call it, it's like a bubble. You're in a bubble. You're definitely in a bubble. You, you ride around your golf carts. It's not, there's, reality is a little skewed. Yeah. But, but it's always been kind of a curiosity. Mm-hmm. I've driven through the villages, like traveling. Like you pass, the, it's even in the, the do, this is a documentary, by the way. I don't know if we said that much yeah, here. I've even driven the main highway that passes through the villages. They have like an overpass and a big sign that says the villages. Driven through that, I mean, and driving through it on initial glance, you would just think it's some other Florida town. Right. Or housing development. Housing area, yes. It's so big now. Housing area. Because they do have a little manufactured downtown area that's supposed to resemble... Be reminiscent of... The older downtown model. Older towns that people would connect with at that age. Yeah, they have a made-up history about the area all to kind of just add to this idea. It's Again, it's Florida, so everything has to be a little theme parky. Yeah. And um, yeah, just just on that aesthetic. So that's definitely what the villages is on Mm -hmm. as an outsider's perspective. As two individuals, to my knowledge, who've never spent any time in the villages. No, I've heard about it, especially from. Um, I think that I think my parents, who live in West Virginia, mm-hmm. my dad and my stepmom have friends, a lot of people that they know, and they'll correct me if I'm wrong, but that have moved down to the villages Funny, from conversations I, over the years. I've heard at a previous job, I used to have a coworker. Who was in his like mid thirties, mm-hmm. and him and his fiance or wife. He would tell me he never went into great details, but he would tell me stories about hey, what did you do this weekend? Oh, we drive and we hang out in the villages because it's fun, and that's Wait, what they did. Were these young people? I said they were in their mid thirties. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Sorry, I missed that. And that's what they were doing. They would go hang out in the villages because it's open to anybody. Do they get free drinks and stuff or something? No, I think it's because they have that, because that's what even the documentary shows. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. They have their downtown market and square, which seems to be every weekend night has some sort of live music activity. It's like a public open area that people are dancing and there's live music playing because it's all sort of catering towards this older crowd. Manufacturing towards this best, best last years of your life. So the two of them would drive over. Interesting. And spend the day in the villages. Just have fun in their little downtown area. You could play golf, I guess. Yeah. So So that's my only experience with it. It's really a character. I mean, it's really a human so some kind of heaven follows a handful of four. individuals. Yeah. Particularly four individuals mm-hmm. and their real, just their real personal story, mm-hmm. which I think makes it a better documentary rather than of course, just, yeah. this is what's wrong it's or not right really, about It's the not villages. really a documentary about the village. It's, it's a documentary about four people or couples that live in the villages. Right. Well, one couple... One man and one widow. Woman. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. So we have 
do we just start going through the people? Just quick, yeah. I mean, I don't want so to get into the weeds. Yeah, that's true. We're not doing this whole episode. We have Barbara. She's a widower. She has moved down. She initially moved down with her husband, who has passed away. And you really see it's you, you feel so sad. She feels so sad, and it is palpable. Like she is so sad, and it. It, she, there's a transition in her throughout the documentary, mm-hmm. but um, her depression is so real. Well, her story, so the point real. of her story is, which is, it's, it's interesting, it's compelling, is this isn't the heaven God sent for her that it's presented as she misses home. And they basically sold everything to come yeah. down, and she... I think she's from Massachusetts, mm-hmm, maybe, mm-hmm. and she really doesn't even. She work. She's the only one that works full time at the villages. Yeah. And she does not have enough money to, you know, sell and go back home. So she is trying to figure out how to make this life work for her, but she is seriously depressed in the beginning. Yeah, she's just kind of searching. And, and she's been there a long time, but never, you know, not so long. I think she was at like month four without her husband. Yeah, the villages are just sort of, it's not the place that she hoped it would be. Right. And that's kind of the story. And then they kind of counter that with another story. I think you said his name was Dennis. He's the guy who's who's been a womanizer his whole life. A bachelor, bachelor, womanizer. And he's living in his van. He doesn't even live in the he villages. He doesn't even live at the villages. He's living in... He's living in his van just looking for a sugar mama. Like, he wants to find an old, he calls them a chicks. He wants to find an old chick that he can shack up with. Shack up with and be their handyman, but then live in the house. But have a place um, to live, have a woman to take care of him. And he has his leathers, leathered, sun skin. skin. <laughs> uh, just very stereotypical. As many, you know. As many old men do yeah. in Florida. But definitely like a throwback to an older era gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and he's... And he's, he's very forthright about his his want to find a rich woman and or a wealthy woman. I'm not saying his storyline is comical in it, but because he definitely has some humanity in him and some oh, it's issues. so sad too. But at the same time... I'm struck at the... You're just baffled at at a person in their 80s still living the way he does. And that's just intriguing. Because I I think our perception of... Well, it's like never committing, never working through something, never uh, being loyal to something, and then where, what ends up happening when you're 80 years old. And maybe that's that's one thing I like about this documentary. I really liked it. But again, I really wanted to see it to begin with. That's what I like about the people they chose. Maybe except for our depressed widower. Oh, I liked her no, because I, I, it was so real. No, I I'm felt. saying apart from her. Right. Oh, okay. What I like about it, because that is what you would expect for a mm-hmm. documentary like this. Yeah. A person like her. Like her. Mm-hmm. Of course you get it. Of course there's going to be people who, they are, who aren't happy, who are depressed. Oh, their spouse died. Yeah. What I liked about this is the other three challenge find people and again these probably are the outliers of the individuals of the villages i would say, i wouldn't jump to say that no i would mm. I, I don't think there's many many living in their van in the villages i probably not but i think there's um 
a lot of men like that there in the world. There might be men like that. But I, that's right, what I'm saying. Women, Our perception of older people is that, yeah, they might be dancing at the town square. They might be going to the Parrot Heads margarita <laughs> hangout that they do, right? Club, Parrot Head Club. Yeah. And dancing and even trying to, like, start little relationships and whatnot. Like, they're all just looking to have fun, and they're a little eccentric in that regard. But our dentist guy living in the van, he's sort of definitely extreme. So the challenge is you don't see grandpas. You don't think grandpas live in that way for the most part. No. And then the other couple um, that is really the sort of centerpiece of it all that have been married for 47 years. Anne and Reggie. And they're just like holding on to their relationship uh, because Reggie... They're they his mental state is questionable, but he also has a dependency on drugs. He's become dependent on drugs since he's been at the villages. Yeah, and, and we're not talking like prescription drugs. It's like marijuana. It's hallucinogenic. Cocaine. Yeah. Like yeah, just drugs teenagers and 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds do. So he has discovered this um, and has become this super eccentric, and it has messed with his mind so much you know, he's just really not all there mm -hmm. um, during a lot of the documentary. And his wife is extremely committed to him. Mm -hmm. And her sadness with it all is very real. And he doesn't even understand how it's affecting her at first, or really ever, maybe. Um, and he... He even goes as far as to say, you know, he deserves to live this kind of life. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter how she feels about it at first. Mm -hmm. And you can really connect with her. Yeah. Because she is just so lonely within a relationship. Mm -hmm. So lonely. Yeah. And he's out, like, running around the golf course and no shirt, doing weird antics and yeah. stuff. And doing... You know, being wild and eccentric in the swimming pools and just kind of alienating himself, not only from her, but everyone from, around from him in the villages. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. he's gone more off the deep end than the typical people that are, like, partying and having a good time Yeah. Um, in the villages. Yeah. So that's what I like about it is the, the people they chose. I'm sure they filmed a number of people. Right. And a number of stories, but these were the ones that popped out and in no way ever do they become off, come off as even Reggie who is the more eccentric person it is told through a sympathetic lens of his mental struggles and his substance abuse struggles and yeah. again that's what I meant by even yeah, challenges. I don't think you don't, they're you don't never making fun of them no 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 all. one's made a comic comical character um, so focus on these people with struggles they, yeah, there is a, a great line that is created where they they show them as being eccentric, but they don't show them as being like circus clowns. You know, they mm -hmm. don't um, no, it's, it's, exploit. Yeah. They don't exploit it's, yeah, it's their all, eccentricities. It's all told with sympathy for the for the individuals, keeping them human, and it also doesn't which would be easy to do. It would also be easy to bash the villages and bash the concept and to, to say how ridiculous this place is. I mean, that's a, a tone or angle they could take. 
and the filmmakers never took it. They never bash it, but you don't walk away from the film saying like, man, I want to I move there when I become 70. No, no, they you say, definitely, they show like, I mean, you definitely the should see the reality of it not being heaven. This is not the paradise promised. Right. Yeah. You don't walk away feeling great about the villages, but no, you don't walk away feeling like it was bashed either. No, so I mean, it's, but so they chose to pick characters um, or individuals who had unique stories and unique situations, but still told it in a, with some compassion and, and left them all with dignity, mm -hmm. which I thought was good. And it was much better than I thought it would end up being too. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not one of these. It's definitely not one of these just, oh, let's have a good laugh and watch the film about the old people at the retirement town. Yeah, no. So, I, I mean, it's, it's incredibly sad. I don't think incredibly sad. Uh, I do. I, think I thought it was incredibly sad. I mean, Anne, I felt so sad for her because you have to think she's been in this for 47 years <laughs> and you think she... You want her to be in this prime of her life, like uh, the last years of her life, maybe. And her husband has just gone off the deep end. And the, the loneliness she shows, and she's not acting, is so sad. I know. I agree. But, but I think that's a takeaway from this documentary is that those that utopia doesn't exist anywhere. No, 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 no. That whether it's a retirement marriages have their ups and downs. Retirement home, a retirement you've been community. For five years or whether, forty years. Yeah, you've gone off living in paradise. It's right. going to be, um, and that the the fact that this is some sort of manufactured heaven. Mm -hmm. Well, that they're selling. That's what they're selling. Yeah, that you don't. It's really not what it is. So, right, right, right. I, I don't think we need to go too long on it, but. It was worth. It's worth the watch. Hulu, it's streaming. We've been watching. We wanted to see it when it came out. It played at a local theater for like a week. We missed it. It was actually at a local film festival here, um, but it was still months during COVID. So it was one of those film festivals streaming only. Well, that was last year at COVID. Uh, well, Cash during Brilliant. the spring. Uh huh. Okay. No, no, no. It was a different film oh, festival, different. or it might have been the Gasparilla, but it was streaming only. We missed the chance to see that streaming. Then we're just kind of watching, and then all of a sudden it popped over to Hulu. So and even if you it. don't have a Hulu subscription, you watch a couple ads at the beginning, and you're in. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's worth the watch. It's a great, you know, especially if you like documentaries. Yeah. It's a good doc. It's a good, well, well shot documentary. And again, it's in this. It's not quite in widescreen. It's in like that pseudo. Four by three ratio, which we talked about. I never kind, noticed some that kind, stuff. Kind, uh, killing of two lovers. We had a double four by three ratio night. Yeah, and and we only put some kind of heaven on because we were sort of transitioning to movie night. We were organizing making some dinner. things, making dinner, getting things um, organized for the kids. Organized for the kids, and we put it on. And I think even my oldest was like watching it, and at times he was a little perplexed that what he was seeing on the screen of this. Yeah, yeah. He said a few little comments. I can't remember. Most teenagers are but it when was, they see But it wasn't that. judgmental. It was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't. Who are these people? What like, happening? What are they doing? Are these real people? <laughs> yes. 
They are. So yeah, those are someone's grandmas and grandpas. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's switch over because we're about at the halfway mark. Okay. We watched another movie in our triple feature. This is our last movie of the night. Our, our, our movie of the night, we already said the last episode, was The Killing of Two Lovers. That was we our main the, feature. The previous episode, uh, part one of this is dedicated all to that movie because we had a lot of things to we say about it. it. Then at 11 o'clock, we're like, let's keep this party going. Well, you said that. I didn't. The village style. I, I was, was like, going both ways, and you just, bam, put it on. Was, it was kind of like, we're doing this. I was riding the, the power of the villages. So I was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And we jumped over to the Netflix streaming film, The Woman in the Window, as we mentioned at the, the top of The Woman in the Window. Mm -hmm. So let's just jump in. It, this is another movie. A lot of people are talking about it. Mm -hmm. On the streaming. I like Amy Adams. We'd watched the trailer a couple times. So it's about Amy Adams is agoraphobic. Yeah. Oh, and on this one, I will say. We are not going to no, give away the ending. No, we, we, I think we have to. We do? Yes. Really? Yes. I'm going to say this. Sometimes we're a little more delicate in our stories, but this is widely available. It's streaming. It's the number one trending thing on Netflix okay. right now. If you haven't so seen it. If you haven't seen it, stop the podcast. Watch it Watch real quick. it, and then come back to the podcast. Come back. Or if you're not interested at all, just listen to us. Will. I don't think we're going to so fully spoil it, but I think to really get into whether it's good or not, or we our thoughts on good. We have to talk about the ending. The ending, I think, is the deal breaker. Not the ending itself, but the final act is the deal breaker of whether this is good or bad. Well, I agree about that, for sure. I just didn't, typically we don't give it away. But you're right. It I think is very widely available. If it's a smaller movie, like Limbo, we did on that episode, or The Killing of Two Lovers. Because you and I sometimes, I think, have some of our better conversations post-recording. Mm -hmm. We talk about some of the more spoilerly details. Right. Maybe one day we'll find a way to put that stuff out and record it, too. But this one, I think you're either in or you're out for the woman in the window. And if you're in, you're going to be seeing it by the, by the time this episode's out anyway. Okay, let's do it. So this woman is agoraphobic. Oh, and when we get to the point in where... In the beginning. You know this yeah. in the very beginning. She's, we'll, she suffers from agoraphobia, which is she can't a, go outside. She can't go outside because she's had a past traumatic she has event. anxiety. There's a past traumatic event that has caused this. Which they reveal all that in the third act. So when we get close to the end of the third act and talking about those things, we'll also give people a heads up. Like, hey, we're entering some spoiler territory. Okay. So we'll also, if you can still listen for a little bit. Okay. So. Yeah. Agoraphobic. Amy Adams can't leave. Can't leave. Um, she's a child psychiatrist. She's a child psychiatrist. She. Uh, but I guess works from home works from home. She hasn't been agoraphobic her whole life. No. Um, you find out very early on that she has uh, she separated from her husband or you think she's separated from her husband and she has a eight or nine year old little girl because she talks on the phone to them um, and she, you find out they're separated. It seems like they still have a good relationship but you assume well it's not working out so well because she's agoraphobic. She does not have her daughter ever. Mm -hmm. The husband and the daughter are no, yeah, away from yeah, her. Yeah, she's separated. That's fine. Yeah. So, um, so she develops a relationship early on with um, a neighbor across the street from her, like, are they in New York City or something? 
Yeah, it's Manhattan. Do you feel it's Manhattan? They say to Manhattan. No, the point is, I mean, I think it's simple. She's agoraphobic. It's it's Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, the first act of this movie, where she's just, but not, not to the caliber of say a Rear Window movie, but it's the same premise. She's stuck in her home, and she just watches the world outside a window, and a and a and couple, what's going on in other people's yeah, apartments. A fam. That's all she does. She's kind of like snoops on people. And she really becomes like intertwined in, in other people's lives. And basically. a new couple, a new couple moves in across the street. Um, played by Gary Oldman, uh, his wife, and his son. Uh-huh. Teenage son. Yeah. And it's quickly apparent that there is domestic issues within this home. Mm-hmm. But, and because of her state of being agoraphobic, and this is the first part, which the movie does for the first two thirds, is you realize you have a very unreliable narrator. Right. And Amy Adams. So it's all from her perspective. Yeah, but you can't trust her perspective at all. You can't trust her perspective because she drinks a lot. She drinks, she takes medication. Every night. She takes a lot of medication. Which they say repeatedly in the movie, you shouldn't be mixing this medication with alcohol. Right, right. And she continually so like, passes out on at night. Anti-anxiety, antidepressants, um, a bunch of different medication, and then she's drinking, you know... Over a bottle of wine a night. But she's also paranoid. Her psychiatrist that we see at the beginning of the movie, he tells her, she says, she confesses later to her husband on the phone that she doesn't even trust her psychiatrist, that he's trying to overdrug her and control her. Um, So she has these, not only anxieties, but she has these paranoias as well. Mm -hmm. Paranoias and um, she's also... You know, she's not being completely honest with her psychiatrist about how much she's drinking on the medications and with anybody about how much she's drinking and whatnot. She's really hiding a lot of her behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, everyone knows she's agoraphobic, but she's kind of hiding what she's doing throughout the day as far as her pill taking and drinking. It's basically a movie of at least the first two thirds of. Amy Adams walking around her big spacious, like brownstone, brownstone (laughs) style Manhattan home in a house robe, drinking, taking pills and peeking out her window and getting freaked out. Yeah. And can I say that I love how Amy Adams plays this because in her clothing that she wears, in her drinking, in her pill popping, because it's so, like, on point. It's so on point of her um, her behaviors, her look. You know, they don't do the, like, gorgeous Amy Adams no. um, that drinks wine all night. You're not going to look gorgeous if you don't leave the house and you, you know. So they are very realistic on how she looked, mm-hmm. on how she, her emotions um Anyway, I liked that aspect of it. Yeah, she's not glamorous at all. I think she plays it fine and well. Mm-hmm. Um, she wears, it's very subtle makeup, only enough for like camera. Yeah, she, um, they don't glamorize her at all. No. Which is good. And it's no Angelina Jolie. 
Yeah, and for just her part <laughs> of being the shut-in and the kind of unreliable, paranoid, anxious narrator. I think any of her performance or her choices are fine because you can easily say, well, yeah, because she's not in a right frame of mind ever. No. So she's fine there. I think... And then the movie eventually unravels, as they even show you in the trailer. Um, the 15-year-old boy comes and kind of befriends her. He seems to be having trouble with his dad and his family. Um, and then right after that, the mom, who, who played by Julianne Moore, who she thinks is the mom, Julianne Moore shows up as well and talks about just hints they at... They become quick friends. It's been like one, one, one afternoon... I know, and you thought that was slightly unrealistic. I, I didn't think as much. I feel like because I didn't find it that weird as you did because a woman moving in with an unhappy marriage and a agoraphobic person who basically has no friends, I feel like you are looking to befriend the woman around the same age as you Across the street. But, but Amy know? Adams, that's my problem, though. Amy Adams, everything else in her character is very untrusting of any other person she meets. And here's a complete stranger who, who, who barges into her home. And asks her very poignant questions. And asks her very poignant personal questions. And then even makes snide remarks about her responses. Right. Um, I felt all that was totally unbelievable that I don't think Amy Adams' character would be that trusting that quick to a stranger. Right. And that revealing, though she tries to change the subject event every once in a while, I, I was think like, eventually she we should say based on her no, personality that it's time now, to over go. the course of a couple of days, or even weeks. I'd be yeah, that's fine. Like okay. they built it up, yeah. built her trust. I can see that. This was in like matter of minutes. Mm -hmm. Over, over a, an evening, I guess. It seems like they hung out for a while. They were drinking wine, and but it was that afternoon. Yeah, because later in the evening. Gary Oldman, the husband, comes by and says, did my wife come by here? Or did anybody from my family come see you? And she lies. She says And she said no. no. Um, Which I thought, no one did. I thought that was confusing, but we, re we figure out why mm -hmm. later. Why it's all and so confusing. And then the big thing is, through her window peeping, she noticed some yelling and arguing at the Gary Oldman house across the way and sees, sees um, Julianne Moore get murdered. Stabbed. Stabbed, yeah. Yeah. Which... Again, that's even in the trailer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the big twist, again, that they show in the trailer, they set all this up in the trailer. Right. Is that Julianne Moore was not Gary Oldman's wife, wife or the kid's mother. That that is played by Jennifer Jason Lee. And now our unreliable narrator, who's already kind of struggling with reality, she kind of just spirals further. Right, because nobody believes her. She's she knows what she's seen. Um, the police don't believe her. She's just kind of like passed off as the crazy paranoid. And Gary Oldman's getting lady. more agitated and angry. He's he bore, he he switches between like just angry and hostile towards her in their encounters, and we and just. Upset, you know, like just please leave us alone, please. By the way, this was a much better role for me for Gary Oldman than in <laughs> Mank. I, I, I thought he's—I do think he's a phenomenal actor. Now that I can, 
Not that he wasn't in Mank, but this mm-hmm. was, he played this role really well. Mm-hmm. Well, he was equally. I mean, he plays most roles he does well, but. But he was kind of scary in it. He was. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. Protective. Protective as well. And so that's, here's my thoughts on this movie. I did not love this film very much. Did not like it very much <laughs> at all. I liked it a I lot. I liked the middle of it. I think as just a basic whodunit paranoid thriller, not bad. I felt the first half of just kind of getting into this realm of Julianne Moore and Amy Adams and Garrett, like meeting all the characters, there were too many things that were too weird and far-fetched to grab. Like the 15-year-old boy just barges into her house, basically. And starts confiding in her. Starts confiding in her. She starts confiding in him. And like mothering again, him. right upon meeting one another. And Which is even, unrealistic. And yeah. he even says... But my thoughts were, this is a setup. Well, no, of course, you're watching it as some sort of setup. Like you said towards... The, I almost believed you. Like, this is a grand... <laughs> he says while we're watching it. In the first act. This is a grand scheme to get her to go outside. And I started thinking, well, all of those weird things that you're saying make mm-hmm. sense. If he's pushing his relationship, you know, pushing himself on her, the, not not sexually, but pushing into her house and the wife and the, you know, I'm like, she's pretending she got stabbed to get her to come over and save her and leave no, the house. Which, I'm like, you're right. Which it does work. She does leave the house. She does. It does work. But no, that was one thought as I'm thinking about this. Oh, is this knowing everything doesn't feel right in the first act because even the boys questions are a little pointed and inappropriate and yeah there's all these red flags going off i mean this is and and that is the foreshadowing the the hint is he is a little off the boy he stutters and he stampers he looks a little not quite right but even when i'm watching the first half the first quarter the first scene the first act i'm sorry i'm like all these red flags are going off this boy comes in your house he's asking these questions about do you live alone what do you do but how can you not like it because at the end it all makes sense no that it was like that no again it makes sense a bit but so so why does it bother you but i'm saying i'm watching the first part the fact that no i'm watching the first part and i'm thinking as just an adult if a 15 year old stranger comes in my home one i'm probably not gonna invite them into my house and when he even says hey i'm 15 and a half i'd be like hey cool you probably need to well i said that as the time she was spending with the 15 and a half year old boy i was like that is not a smart choice for a grown woman to be alone in her home with a 15 year old well, even thank Boy, God, that's a stranger. I felt, thank God, you know, in, in the not middle, a good choice. later on in the movie, when Gary Oldman, the father, confronts her, because again, he comes over one time and the boy's back in her house, mm-hmm. He Gary Oldman comes barging in and yells at Amy Adams saying, leave my son alone. He's a 15-year-old boy. What are you doing hanging out with my 15-year-old son in your home? And she is never... It's not a sexual thing. No, no, no. That's not even there. But, but people could perceive it as. Yeah. So that if part, you didn't know in what the was beginning between the exchange with the boy, the exchange with Julianne Moore, um, all of it, I could tell was, oh, this is all part of the storytelling to get all the information out. 
because the Julianne Moore scene and between the boy scene, we get all the exposition we need and backstory, you mm -hmm. know, that's mm -hmm. going on mm -hmm. here. So you see that's part of the reason there. And I was trying to make sound like, oh, maybe they're just trying to, this is, this is an elaborate mind game that maybe the psychiatrist has set up to get her out of the place. Then it started making sense to me when you said that I believed your theory <laughs> for a little while. It was just a theory. I mean, it was the only thing that really made sense at that point in the first half of the movie, really. And then as it rolled into the second act, I was, I was liking it then. Not because of my theory, but it sort of settled into this, what is the reality story? Is... And we haven't mentioned that guy in the basement that... The, the tenant. She has a tenant that lives in the basement of her house. Yeah, he kind of looks after her a little bit. Though I felt he, he was the, the a one... A distracting character? I did not like him at all because sometimes he was very nice and considerate to her. Like, hey, I'm going to take Sometimes the trash out for scary, you. scary, but I think that was part of it. I think it was part of it. To me, it was like, because you remember hearing her voice down, the, a woman's voice no, yeah, down yeah. in the basement. So I thought, well, no, this girl was a girlfriend of his <laughs> that he had down there that came up, befriended her, and confused her or so like, acted yeah. like she mm -hmm. was someone else. No, I'm not saying his role as a character was... I liked it, but it was a confusing I'm saying role. His, his style. But again, Sometimes he was sympathetic. once you know the end, I think it makes sense. But I'm talking about him, the, the, the tenant. Like, other times he would just yell and be hostile towards her and almost threatening and menacing to Amy Adams. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why is this guy flying off the handle so quick to Amy Adams? He has no reason to. Um, and I just felt it created unneeded, unneeded tension that they were trying to hint at, oh, is the tenant downstairs, is he one of the suspects in all this craziness? Like, how do you explain, how do you explain what's all these things are happening? Was my... Right. Was, Did and he I was, have some part in it? Yeah, and then the movie was trying to make everyone a suspect. Mm -hmm. Is she crazy? Is this all in her mind? Is Gary Ullman really the bad husband is um, is Jennifer Jason Lee in it on somehow like what's the deal right and you have the police detective played by Brian Tyree Henry who borders between like sympathetic and um, really apprehensive at, at the same time yeah Apprehensive, but patient and, under, mm -hmm. you know. Kind of giving her the benefit of the played doubt. played a really good role, I felt like. And so that second act, I was like, okay, you got me back on board. I'm not hating it now. But they were kind of trying to distract you from everything. The reality of what was it, maybe. Um, and you even getting led to believe that maybe this is one of those it's all in her mind type deals. Mm -hmm. And then I guess this is where we're starting to tiptoe into spoiler territory. Right. They reveal her traumatic experience, experience that made her, that has made made her, her agoraphobic. agoraphobic. That she has, her husband and, and daughter are actually dead. And throughout the movie, she talks to them a lot. Which adds to the unreliable narrator, which adds to this is probably... 
And she even has a realization, a memory of, okay, I did kill them because it's her fault, car accident. She, she's a car accident that was her fault and her husband and, and little girl die. Mm -hmm. And since this accident, she's lost, basically lost grip with reality. Yeah. You know, um, through self-medication, through um, being, locking herself, punishing herself, basically. And so that... I feel decent, good movie plot premise. To even say we might, it's, she is unreliable, unstable. We might never know the full truth, but we know this is really a, about a story about a woman dealing with grief and regret and guilt. Mm -hmm. That is not what this movie is. No. So you think, okay, at some point you think this is all made up in her head. Like, and she, they lead her to believe because of her medication, alcoholism. And kind even of she comes to that, even she comes to this point of saying, I'm sorry, you're right. I've, I'm I've wrong. lost grip on all I've things. I've lost grip on all things. And I'm going to kill myself. And I'm going to commit suicide. So she starts planning her, her death. Mm -hmm. um, and then she makes a startling revelation at the very end, right before she does the deed. I, I have to say, her, this movie plays out, the second half plays out to me like a Sylvia Plath novel. I couldn't stop thinking about well, that. Well, up until the third act. As, up until the third act. That's what I'm saying. It could have been a great Sylvia Plath movie. Yeah. Theme, thematic the, film. Uh, well, the descent into madness. Yes. And then ending in suicide. I just was just like flashing to that. But that is not how movies get to be number one streaming choice on Netflix. That is true. Which is the problem. <laughs> so when, and all of us are kind of left with the question, well, who was Julianne Moore? Right. We know that mystery is not solved and they have to solve it. And she does realize she took a photograph at, earlier in the movie. Of her cat. Of her cat and the wine glasses that they're sharing. And she does see the reflection in. That Juliana Moore was an actual person. Yeah. That, that she did not conjure this up or this person and that up it in was her the, head. And, and, and that is the mother of the boy. But she had kind of had issues as a young mother and was out of the picture and was trying to get back so to So goes her son. downstairs, sleeps with the tenant. So she was with the tenant and the tenant kind of realized who she was, that she was kind of messed up in this kind of chasing after her ex-husband and son and kind of kicked her out. Kicked her out. So instead and of I leaving, she comes upstairs and befriends. Yeah. I I know you're gonna say it's mainstream. I loved that. No, no, no. That part, no, it. that part is still great. I thought I did I think, not expect that. No, I and think, I love it when I don't expect. Well, I, it. I thought that might have been her when we heard the laughing around. But I thought to myself, you know what? This can work. That's my dialogue. Watching. Okay, cool. <laughs> she can still. Not that I want to see a person commit suicide, but Amy Adams can still live in this torment and realize that this person was real. And it could still be this question of, well, why did she imagine this murder and this thing and her kind of paranoid delusion slip on reality that she kind of put all these pieces in there, right? You're a father. I would think that you would want to help a child. 
if my husband were here. Okay. We got to do this quick. We're almost okay. out of space. <laughs> oh, we had to pause because we're running out of space on our card. My problem is Act 3. Her Descent into Madness is one thing, mm -hmm. right? But then they reveal... Oh, you know the kid you haven't been paying attention to the whole time? He's the murderer. Well, I kind of, I, I suspected that a little bit. Yeah. And that it's Gary Oldman protecting his son who has these murderous tendencies. Right. He likes to watch people die. He's still figuring it out, but he's sort of the serial killer in the mm -hmm. making kid. Mm -hmm. Right. He killed Julianne Moore, his mom, his real mom. Mm-hmm. He killed this other woman in Boston. Right. Which is why they moved. Which is why the family moved. Killed the tenant downstairs. Mm -hmm. And now it's this final battle between him and Amy Adams. Well, and it's Amy Adams' redemption of, like, I, I knew something with. She didn't know that, but it wasn't her just being well, it's, crazy. Yeah, and it, Yeah, it's her redemption. Oh, I guess she wasn't mad. She no way, in no way I feel resolves her feelings towards her family, her husband no, and daughter's No, no, no. That's why death. I didn't like the very ending because it Yeah, it was, doesn't connect. It doesn't connect. The, the end doesn't connect with the movie. But, um, but I, I didn't mind that being what, what it was. I didn't mind that at all. I just didn't like how it ended, how she was like, okay, I'm, I'm over my agoraphobia all of a sudden, because it doesn't resolve the fact that her it, nothing gets resolved. It cheapens, husband and child are still dead, and she still it cheapens, feels at fault for that. Yeah, it cheapens the whole movie, I yeah, feel. Yeah. Any depth the movie might have. Instead, it just becomes this slack, slasher movie sl thriller. Mm -hmm. And with that, um, we might have to just end this. I don't recommend this movie. Do you I recommend, recommend it? it. I recommend it. I don't think it's the best movie in the world, but I definitely enjoyed it and recommend it for okay. sure.